Hello, and welcome to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. In week two of our Apostles' Creed series, Pastor Kenny Keating teaches from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 15, about how our Almighty Heavenly Father is personal, powerful, and a protector. He has a plan for our lives, and we have a part to play. So the first thing I want to point out as we dig into our passage this morning is, I don't know if you noticed it, but you probably did notice it, but there's a very Trinitarian vibe to this creed, right? The Trinity is a central piece in this creed. And of course, the doctrine of the Trinity is that there is one God and there are three persons. And that's hard for some people to understand. In two weeks, we're going to deeply unpack that for you guys. It's going to be fun. But just to give you some basics of the Trinity, what we're saying is that there's a Father, that there's a Son, that there's a Holy Spirit, three distinct persons in this sense. Not that they're three different beings, they're one essence, they're one being, but they're three persons. They, they, they describe themselves as I, and they describe the other persons of the Trinity as a them, or as, as in, 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 uh, in Father, or Son, or Holy Spirit, opposed to themselves. So they see themselves as distinct persons. In a very most basic understanding of the Trinity, of how this all works, we see it like this, that the Father always initiates, that the Son always accomplishes, and that the Spirit always applies all these things. And we see these in the Bible in John 3.16, the most popular of verses. We see that God so loved the world that He sent His only Son. So we see a Father who sends, He initiates. We see a Son who comes and accomplishes. When you go to John 14.26, it teaches, Jesus taught that the Father, when Jesus leaves, that the Father would send the Son, or he would send the Spirit, right? So again, the Father's initiating, and the Spirit, what the Spirit's going to do is going to teach all the things and remind them of all the things that Jesus taught. So he's going to apply these things. So we have a, a Father who initiates, we have a Son who accomplishes, and we have a Spirit who applies all these things. All three are equally God. In other sense, they're not... They're, not, they're, they're fully God in, in and of themselves. The Holy Spirit is not only God when He's connected with the Father and the Son. He's, he's 100% God. Each of them is equally God. And each of them is eternally God. They always were God. They always will be God. Or you might say it like this. Each of them is fully God. And each of them is forever God. And so these are some of the basics. Like, like I said, in two weeks we'll unpack this more deeply but this morning, we're going to be looking at the first person of the Trinity, the Father. So we're going to be looking at God the Father Almighty. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at the prayer that Jesus models for us. And the context of this, in Matthew chapter 6, it's the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, right? We studied that last year. The Sermon on the Mount, and then the middle piece, the context of what Jesus has been talking about, he's saying that we need to have a better righteousness than the Gentiles and the Pharisees. In other words, we need to, we need to understand our, our position with God and our, our okayness in the world, our righteousness, our, our, our right to be right, right? Not based on what the Gentiles thought what made them right and not based on what the Pharisees thought made them right. And so we might just, just take a moment and think about in our day, in our culture, what are some things that people grab onto to be okay in the world, right? To prove themselves, to prove themselves worthy, 
to feel valuable, to feel loved, to feel like they've, 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 they've made it and they're okay, right? Accomplishments, relationships, um, social media statuses, right? Clothing, all kinds of things that we grab onto to try to make us right. And Jesus is saying, those things aren't the things that I want you to see as what give you value and give you identity. And I want, to, I want you to have a better righteousness. And so he's unpacking these things. And in essence, what he's showing us is that in Christ, we have a righteousness that doesn't come from anything that we've done or who we feel like we are, who, like, who we feel like we've proven ourselves to be, but it comes completely from who God is, from what God has done, and what God has promised. And so in the middle of this, he says, I don't want you to pray like the Gentiles who utter a bunch of words thinking that if they, if they, if they say the right words over and over and over and over and over and over and you guys get the point right and that, that God will hear and, and do what they want. That's how the Gentiles pray. Now how do the Pharisees pray? The Pharisees, they had this thing where they would fast at certain times and the Pharisees always went above and beyond what was expected and they did it publicly so everyone saw that they were, they were better than what was expected. That's the, that's the kind of idea. And they prayed two times a day. They were scheduled to pray at certain times. And the way that it was supposed to work was just live your life, do your life, and then wherever you're at, at these certain times of the day, you would stop and you would just kind of pray. Well, where do you think the Pharisees would always end up finding themselves at those times? They would always find themselves on a stage somewhere where people would see them And Jesus is pointing out, like, don't be like that. It's not real. It's not authentic. And so he goes, when you pray, just do it like this. What you're going to see is that as Jesus is teaching us a model for prayer, he's also teaching us about who we're praying to. He's going to teach us how 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 to relate to the Father. And in that, I would say, it's probably the best picture in all of the scriptures that I found to understand who the Father is in relation to us. When we say, I believe in the Father Almighty, it's important for us to understand who is this Father and how does that affect us? Who is He to us? And so Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 16, Jesus prays like this. He says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now I've heard this passage preached a lot of times in my 20-something years of being a Christian and, and beyond because I grew up going to church with my family because my mom told me to, right? Uh, so I've heard this passage preached a lot, and usually it's preached like this. This is, this is a model of how you should pray, and it is. But what I want to look at today is what do we learn specifically about the Father as we pray? What's Jesus teaching us about the Father? And so I hope that we'll see three things. And the three things are this, that our Father is personal and is powerful. 
So when we pray to this Father, He's both personal and He's powerful. He is, the second thing is that He is our provider and protector. And the third thing is that He has a plan and that He has given us a part to play in it. So He is personal and powerful. He is provider and protector. He has a plan and we have a part in it. When we say, I believe in the Father, we're saying we believe in a Father who is powerful and personal, who is our provider and our protector, who has a plan, and we have a part in it. So let's start with the idea that our Father is personal and powerful. Our Father is personal and powerful. And the first thing in your notes is this, that He adopts us as His children. He adopts us as His children. He starts off, by saying, how do, we, how do we address Him? We address Him as our Father in heaven. He's our Father who's in heaven. Jesus didn't say, hey, when you go and you pray to the Father, go, hey, Jesus is Dad, right? Like if you did that, like when, you're, when I was a little kid, when I would go up to somebody, like you wanted them to spend the night at your house, and then they would talk you into like, go ask my dad if it'd be okay, right? So you go over and they go, Mr. Johnson, is it okay if Johnny spends the night at my house? But you address him as Mr. Johnson. You don't, you don't go up to, I never went up to, no, none of my friends said, hey, go up to my dad and say, hey, hey, our dad, right? Like Jesus is saying something pretty revolutionary that my dad is your dad. And we see this in the scriptures in this, that he adopts us as his children. And in Galatians chapter 4, Paul unpacks this. It won't be on the scriptures. If you want to go to Galatians 4, if you just want to listen from the ESV, Galatians 4, 4 through 7, he goes like this. He goes, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law. Does that not sound a little Apostle Creedy? Right? Like born of the Virgin Mary, the son came. So, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son because he initiates and the son accomplishes born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He's going to redeem those who are under the law. In other words, those who were getting their righteousness from following the law, they no longer, because it wasn't working, they're no longer going to get their righteousness from the law, but he's going to redeem them from that and give them a better way. But Jesus is the better way. And it says, and because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God sent Jesus, and then God sent the Son. It's a very Trinitarian passage. And what does the Spirit cause our hearts to cry out to God with? Abba, Father. In other words, we've been adopted as sons, and not like in one of those plays like where, like Annie, where you get adopted and they want to use you for, for, for work or for the farm or for any other reason, for bad reason. But what he's saying is, is that our father is the type of father who adopts us and then treats us like his very own. And we just call him Abba Father would be like going up and jumping on your dad's lap and calling him Papa or something very intimate like that. So the Holy Spirit is coming in us and helping us to address Him as our Father. So you are no longer a slave, but you're a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So when we say, I believe in the Father, we're saying that we believe that we've been adopted and have all the privileges of a true son, an heir. It's pretty powerful. 
And then we see in letter B that he invites us to have access to him. When Jesus goes like this, he goes, pray then like this. Guess what? That's an invite. That's a beautiful invite. He's saying he invites you to go to him to pray then like this. That he invites us to have access to him. And this reminds us that our Heavenly Father is one who, ha- who makes time for his children. Now, I think it's important that we address this, that whenever we think about God with a human imagery, right? Like he's father. That's how he's chosen to reveal himself to us, that he's father. But depending on your experience with your father, that could hit you in a lot of different ways. We don't want to miss the fact that sometimes people have had a very bad experience with their father relationship. And then when they try to think of God as their father, that becomes a big struggle. I think what what Jesus is saying is, is this. No, your heavenly father is not like that. A good father makes time for his children. I, I didn't have a bad experience with my... I, I do have some daddy issues, right? We all have some daddy issues, but my dad tried real hard. He, was, he loved me, and he always made time for me. And I can remember specifically, like, I've told this story before, but this one just always blows my mind. My dad... Do you guys ever see the Christmas story, that thing, the Christmas story, the movie, right? And they blow a tire, and then he goes outside, and then the mom is going to time him because the father is super proud of how fast he could change the tire, And my dad was like that with changing the oil. My dad had this old white Dodson, and we had a driveway that was about 45 degrees, and literally my dad, like under eight minutes was his goal. And he could do it. He like got under there, changed the whole thing, filter and all, did it right in like under eight minutes, and he was super proud of that. Well, I remember the first time I was just a young teenager, and my dad invited me out on the driveway. And he wanted to help teach me how to how to change the oil with him well like an hour and eight minutes later we finally finished and i learned two things i learned how to change the oil and i learned how to change how to clean up a lot of oil off your driveway because i made a huge mess but my dad had this huge smile on his face because he'd rather change the oil with me in an hour and eight minutes than do it himself in eight minutes why because a good father is like he just wants to spend time with his children. And so never, let's not lose sight of the huge impact that we get invited into his presence as his children. So he's very personal. The other side of this is he says, I want you to pray like this. Hallowed be your name, right? What we learn from here is that he is almighty God. In the creed, we say he's father almighty. The word would be omnipotent, not meaning that he can do all things. People try to say like, well, can God make a three-sided square? No, that's ridiculous, right? Can God like be mean to somebody and, and do the wrong thing? No, that's outside of his character. But everything that God intends to do, God can do. He is supreme. There is nothing more supreme than God. There is nothing more powerful than God. That's what it means when we say he's almighty. And we're coming into the presence of a father who's adopted us, who is tender to us, who cares about our weakness, who cares about where we're at, and yet has no weakness, is all-powerful. So we don't like come into God's presence and be like, what's up, homeboy? Right? Like, you know, like maybe you want to wear a t-shirt, Jesus is your home, homeboy, but father's not your homeboy. 
right? He's your hallowed father. So this is this idea that when you come into this father, you're coming into a God, a father who wants to put you on his lap, but who you should have a holy fear of. There should be a holy fear. You don't just walk into there and do whatever you want. Like you're in the presence of a holy father who you don't mess with. And so when you think about the idea of the fear of God, I always like to unpack it like this. I think it's a lot like having a healthy fear of the ocean. You have a healthy fear of the ocean in that, hopefully, a healthy fear of the ocean, you want to go down to the ocean, you want to swim in the ocean, but you understand how powerful the ocean is. You don't just do whatever you want at the ocean, right? You respect the rules of the ocean. And the same thing, there's this like, there's this paradox, there's this tension that we, we're coming into this father who loves us and wants to be there and who is mighty and powerful. The God who created all things that are created out of nothing, right? Ex nihilo is Latin for out of nothing God created everything that exists. That same all-powerful God invites us to his table, invites us to his prayer seat, and gives us all of his attention so we have this beautiful picture that Jesus paints for us of this, this powerful and yet personal Father. And then we see in, the, in this passage that our Father is both protector and provider. He's protector and provider. And so he says, pray like this. He goes, give us this day our daily bread. Now he's talking to Jewish people, and the Jewish people would have understand the law and the Torah And there's some pictures that they would have automatically had in their head when he says, he goes, give me this this day, my daily bread. Probably the first one would have been back in Exodus 15. In Exodus 15, the Israelites had just been led out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the free land, but they're in the wilderness, and they're complaining because they're hungry, there's no drive-thrus, there's no Starbucks, and if, if that's too mainstream for you, there's no like bear and the boy, whatever, for your pour over. There's none of those extravagances. You're just out there and they're like worried, right? And they're telling Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt where it was so awesome? We got to eat every day out here to die. Like they're, they're gone crazy. They're not thinking right, right? And they're whining. And God provides for them this stuff called manna, bread from heaven. And there were some rules with the manna. You guys remember what those are in Exodus 15? They would basically, he would come every day. It was provided by God. And you could, you could collect enough for that day. If you tried to collect enough for, for like three or four days, what would be the reason why you would do that? Because you weren't trusting him. He's like, I told you every day this is coming. Don't, don't collect enough for tomorrow. Trust me that it'll be here. You're going to have to learn to trust me. And so you can't collect enough for tomorrow. You just collect enough for today. It's this daily bread. Now, Jesus is reminding them of that. He goes, when you go to this powerful, personal father, just ask, ask for your daily bread. Don't ask for enough for tomorrow. You don't need that. He'll be there. He's a personal, he's powerful. Trust me, he'll be there. But just get enough, just ask for enough for today. It's a sign that you're dependent on him and that you trust him and you're trusting in his character. So we, 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 we see this picture. And then in Proverbs 38 and 9, he says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. 
Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of the God. So he's saying, don't be greedy, but go to God and be dependent on him every day. Why? Because he's your provider. So he teaches us that God is our provider in this way. And then letter B, he walks us through our shortcomings. How many of you guys are thankful that God puts up with your shortcomings? Any any of you guys ever um, lived a whole week perfectly? What about a whole hour, right? What about a whole minute, right? I've never done that. That's when I, when I get to heaven, that's going to be my first minute. I'm going to be like, this is my first minute I ever lived like perfectly, right? But we never do that. And Jesus is reminding us that the father puts up with our shortcomings like a good father puts up with your shortcomings. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. You guys remember in Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son? Like what happens in the prodigal son story is this son has a good father, but he asks for his inheritance while his father's still alive, which is a huge disrespect, right? Give me my money. I want to go party is basically what he said. And and the father gives him his inheritance and he goes out and he parties. He squanders it. Well, that's not the highlight of the story. He gets to this point where he finally comes to his senses And he's going to go back this long road back home. And he's expecting, like, I'm going to go back. And he's rehearsed the whole speech. He's like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, Dad, I know I don't deserve to be your son anymore. But if you would just treat me like one of your servants, your servants are living better than I am out on my own. I just want to be a servant in your home. But how does the father respond to him? He sees him from a long way off. He ties up his, his basically dress in that, like a man dress, right? And he girds his loins, he ties it up, which means I'm ready to run. And he runs to him, and he embraces him, and he invites him back home by throwing a party. And so in this picture, we see forgive us of our sins means that we believe that God is the father that fathers the prodigal son, that we're the prodigal son, that we're not worthy, but that God deals with us mercifully and so we approach God as this God who's gonna who's gonna receive us back what's the opposite of that what's the opposite of a of of having a father who's gonna put up with us and be merciful of us it's the garden of eden what happens with with adam and eve when they sin and they feel shame what is their response it says they hide from god They don't want God to get close to them. And so God does not want us to have distance from Him. He wants us to be close to Him. So He comes looking for us. He clothes us. And He invites us. In other words, if you had a really bad week this week, if you just, or or maybe month or year or season, you're just like, like your life has become a train wreck. Know this. The Father desires for you not to hide from Him but to approach him and just say, God, I'm sorry. And he will receive you with mercy. And he will forgive you of your sins. And he just wants us to have this type of relationship with God that no matter what happens, God always loves us. He's always going to walk with us. And he walks with us through our shortcomings. That's a great father. And then we see that, that he helps us live godly lives. 
that this Father helps us live godly lives. He says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. On our own, do you guys think we can live good lives? We can't. We need His help to live good lives. In 2 Peter 1.3, Peter says this. He goes, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to be His own glory and excellence. In other words, God, we need God to help us live godly lives, and God is here to help us live godly lives. How? The Father sends everything we need. The, the, the Son comes and accomplishes. He does everything we need, is accomplished. And then He gives us the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit's applying these things. We have all the help that we need to live godly lives, but we cannot do it apart from Him. So in this prayer, we're realizing that we are dependent upon this Father for, for godly lives. And then this, the, the third section we want to look at is that He has a plan and that we have a part to play. We learn from this prayer that He has a kingdom, right? He goes, your kingdom come. What does that mean? It means He has a kingdom. That the God has a kingdom. That the Father is overseeing this kingdom and that He has put His Son at the right hand of the kingdom on the throne. And so the Father and the Son and God is, this, is our king. And He has a kingdom. Are we living for His kingdom is kind of the idea. When we say God has a plan for our life, what does that mean? That means He has a plan for our life. Some, a lot of you guys know somebody who's like graduated from high school. They're about to graduate from high school. They're in college now. I have both of those. My daughter is going to be soon entering into high school. My other daughter's just in college. And all the time, it drives me nuts, people come up and go, what are you going to be when you grow up? To my kids. What are you going to be when you grow up? And then if they're really nice, they say, well, I believe you could be anything you want if you just work hard enough. And that sounds really cool, right? That is terrible advice. It is. It's it's not understanding what Jesus is praying. Your kingdom come means He has a plan for your life. Why are we not teaching our kids God has a plan for your life? Follow Him one day at a time. Jesus is trying to teach this whole group of people. Approach your Father like that, like you have a plan. One, somebody in here just take a deep breath. God knows what's supposed to happen this week. God knows what's supposed to happen next week. He's got a plan. We're following a great leader. We're following a great king. God has a plan. The next way he says that, he goes, he goes your will be done. He goes, your kingdom come, your will be done. What does that mean? That means he has a will. In other words, he has a plan. He has something that he desires to accomplish. So we have a God who's a king, who has a plan. One of my favorite verses in Hebrews chapter 12, and I like how he says it like this, because I grew up playing sports. I don't like to run. I have a motto, run only when dogs are chasing you. But I, under, I understand the concept of race or, or, or race. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, throw off all the things that hinder and the sin that so easily entangles 
and run with perseverance the race that God has marked out for you. What does that mean? It means He has marked out a race for you. Our job is not to figure out what we want to be when we grow up. Our job is to run the race that God has marked out for us. I hope that's encouraging to you to know that God knows. If, you're, if, you're, if you have a, a, a people that you're mentoring or, or, you're, or you're talking to and they're in that age frame, let's just change our dialogue. Let's say, did you know that God has a plan for your life? Like, okay, really? That's encouraging because I thought, I thought everyone else is treating me like I got to figure it out and I have no idea what I want to do with my life. Well, God has a plan for your life. We'll have our worship team come back up. That God has a plan for our lives. He's, re- he's, he's, he's marked a race for us. And then lastly, we have a part in this. So, so I put it like this, that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. And, and we see this in the prayer. He goes like this. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That means that God doesn't just have a plan for the future. He has a plan for right now. And he has a plan for our lives and he has a plan for our world. Isn't that good to know? You guys ever just get bombarded with all the bad stuff going on in the world and think, is, is it just like coming unraveled and, 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 and headed towards chaos? The answer is no. It is coming unraveled and it will get darker and darker, but our Father has His almighty hand on it all. He has a plan for it all. And in the middle of this chaos, He sends us to be salt and light. He has a plan, and every day He wants to use us in the midst of His plan. So when He says, on earth as it is in heaven, it's another way of saying, God, use me. God, use me in your plan. Whatever you want me to do, help my life be oriented to the fact that you're good, that you give me everything that I need, that you provide for me, that you protect me, that you have a plan, and that you want to use me. And our Father, when we say, I believe... We have a father. That means we, oh, I believe I'm a part of something and I have a part in it. In chapter 5, Jesus had, had said this. He goes, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it in a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they, that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who's in heaven. So so Jesus says it like this in our prayers. He goes, and ask God to forgive you of your sins. And he says, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to go out and I want you to forgive others of their trespasses. So you couple this together with these couple of chapters. He's like, I want you to live your lives, such good lives. People see your lives in, in contrast to the rest of the world and they see hope. And they see something. And I want you to live your lives differently than everyone else. You've been forgiven. So go out and forgive. You've been given much. So go out and give much. You've been loved. So go out and love. When you have a good father, it empowers you to live a good life. And he's saying, go live a good life. 
And in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, Paul unpacks this idea of how we should be ambassadors or representatives of the kingdom. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. You've been adopted into a new family. You're a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. My prayer is that when we read through the Apostles' Creed and we say, I believe in the Father Almighty, that we have a better picture of who it is and what it is that we're saying. That we have a Heavenly Father who invites us into His presence in a very personal way. Who is powerful enough to handle anything that would come our way who provides for us daily bread, everything we need, and who protects us and helps us live godly lives and has sent us into the world to do those very things in such a way that we would do it not to to earn our righteousness, but because our righteousness is already settled and we have nothing to prove and we can go out and give freely and love freely and forgive freely, And in all of these things, our Heavenly Father is using us to accomplish His plans. And yes, He could do it in a moment, whatever He wanted to do, just like my dad could change the oil in eight minutes, but He's chosen to give it an hour in eight minutes and make a huge mess because that's how He wants to do it. He wants to do it in us and through us. Thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church Podcast. You can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.